It's 12.07. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, I freely admit, looking over today's show plan, the show is, I, I it, it's a bit of a mess, I must admit, but I have been traveling quite a bit, and that, that's my justification. we got a lot of ground to cover on today's program. Um, I Just to comment on the Brewers' season very quickly, it was just what a wonderful season. I was in Las Vegas over the weekend and had what alcoholics would call a moment of clarity, and that is that I, I went through a period where, like, all these bets I was making up until Game Seven of the Brewers Dodgers series came in. I even had, I even had a wager on Christian Yelich scoring the first run in Game Seven, and, and he did. So it it was we, we had a lot of fun. I was out in Vegas with my brother. I will say this: the I, I watched the first six innings of the Brewers game, and then we went to a Jimmy Buffett concert. The uh, the the crowd in the particular tavern I was in in Vegas was not very forgiving of Craig Council. That was the general theory was that Council blew the game. Now, Council didn't give up the three-run home run. And I, I do think he was probably a little bit guilty of perhaps overmanaging, but he's young. He will learn from that. Great Brewer season. I, I think a lot of people are going to be saying, hey, this team's got a great chance to get to the World Series next year, and you would certainly think so. At the same time, Got to recognize how difficult it is to do that. After the Packers won the the Super Bowl in 2010, a lot of us thought, hey, they're going to be going back again. And, of course, that hasn't happened. After the Packers made the Super Bowl those two years in a row in the mid-'90s, a lot of us thought it was a dynasty, and and that didn't happen. So hopefully the Brewers can continue to improve and build. It was, regardless, just a a great season, a special season, and um, it was fun to be along for the ride. All right couple housekeeping notes, as we always do. We are live streaming the first couple segments of the program. You can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, and you can participate in that fashion as well. In addition, at the start of the 2 o'clock hour, there is a story which is going national as we speak, and it involves a situation of a police officer arresting a 14-year-old girl. And there is outrage over the fact that the police officer strikes the 14-year-old girl twice. Um, the police department, interestingly enough, isn't backing down. And they're, they're saying, hey, look, there's this video that's out there, and if you, but it does not tell the whole story. We're going to discuss that at the start of the 2 o'clock hour. I bring this up now, though, because I've got a link to the story and the video The video of the contact, and if you text the word arrest, A-R-R-E-S-T, arrest, to 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, I'll send you a copy of the the video and a link to the story, and you can see it. Like I say, we're going to discuss that at the start of the 2 o'clock hour. Simply text me the word arrest, and I'll send you the, the little video clip. It does not as often happens, have the entire incident. It just has what has some people that are particularly outraged. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, we are live streaming this part of the program on Facebook. The big, I, I think, international story right now, the story that has sort of blown the killing of the Saudi Arabian journalist off, off the front pages, is the story of the migrant caravan that is bound for the United States. Now, I think everybody knows how these stories work. What you do is you have Central American migrants who are marching through Mexico bound for the United States. This is not the first time this has happened. As a matter of fact, in the past, 
what Mexico has done oftentimes is Mexico has dispersed the, the, this group. Uh, but the problem is once the group, once the caravan gets to the border of the United States, the United States has a lot of tough decisions to make, including, as we know, once the people are allowed to come into the United States, then they have to be detained. Then you've got the whole issue about what do you do with the kids that are with the families, all these things. What makes this story particularly unique is the fact that the size of this caravan is probably a record number. The estimates are right now that the group of people marching from Central America to the United States through Mexico has now grown to more than 5,000 people. Story is, uh, most of these people, not all, but many of them are from Honduras. Apparently, they, they streamed across a bridge connecting Guatemala with Mexico, more than 5,100 migrants have registered in three shelters in the Mexican and a Mexican border town, and they're heading for the United States. And, and it appears to be picking up steam. As you heard during our report at the, during the 12 o'clock news, there have been situations where, like, Mexican, the Mexican army essentially took efforts to, to block the group and then kind of fell back because they're not exactly sure what they want to do. This group, this surge, Here's intent on coming into the United States. And so the the Trump administration is, is saying, look, we're, we're not going to let this happen. But the problem is, what happens if you get five, six thousand or more people, including families with children who show up at the border of the United States? Do you let them in? Do you not let them in? What do you do with them? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of one of the things that the Trump administration is apparently considering in an effort to deter this caravan from coming in is to, once again, revisit the whole idea of separating, you know, children from the adults. And saying, hey, look, here's what's happened. If you come into this country illegally as part of this caravan, um, you're, you are going to be arrested and your children are going to be sent to foster care. They're trying to do that as a way of discouraging people from coming in because candidly, there's a question about whether we have the resources to detain thousands and thousands of families who have come illegally into this country. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What should the Trump administration do if this group is able to stay together and is able to get through Mexico to the U.S. border? Do we let them in the country? 414-799-1620. I'll discuss with you in just a minute. I'll tell you what I think should happen. 414-799-1620. That is the number. If you're on the line, please hold on. What do you want to see the United States do? And if we turn the group away, if we try to block the border, are we being unsympathetic to the humanitarian needs of people traveling across Central and South America looking for, you know, a better life. 414-799-1620. What do we do? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1215. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, you have this migrant caravan 
people coming from Central America, many, not all, but most are from Honduras. They're now moving through Mexico, enormous amount. There's there's over 5,000 people. More people are apparently joining it every day. They want to get to the U.S. border. What do you do if they get to the U.S. border? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Carol in uh, Nishkora. Carol, you're in 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hi, this is, and thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. And I say do not separate the children. Then we have to support them for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in that. And again, the reason for this caravan should be looked into as to who started it. And I'm sure somebody in the Democratic Party started it. Well, I guess, okay, you say, you say the question is don't separate the children. So no. let's say let's say the caravan gets here and you've got mom right. and dad and you've got four children under right. the age of 12, what, right. what what do you do? Do you arrest them and then detain them all as a family? No, you don't arrest them. You turn them back. You don't let them in this country. You don't go near them. Well, how do you turn them back? That, I mean, that's, that's of course, the problem. You, how- you can put armed guards all along that, that border and say anybody that crosses this border will be shot, yeah. man, woman, or child. And... I don't think anybody would run up against I, a bullet. I, well, I think I, I well, I, I, I don't. I, I you, you, I don't, I don't. You can't shoot them. <laughs> I just, I mean, I, you, 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 I mean, I, I mean, the, the idea is, I mean, I, separating them is not a very good solution. But, but shooting people is is not the solution either. I mean, now, obviously, see, here's the problem under the law, and this is why. This is why it has been so disappointing to me that we haven't been able to get any sort of consensus on immigration. Once they cross the border, at that point in time, what the U.S. law says is that they have to be taken into custody. They can, in fact, be taken into custody. Right now, the policy is not to separate the children from the families, because remember, we've had this huge issue about separating families, but children have to be released in 20 days. That's what the law says. So you can arrest them, you can keep them together, but then after 20 days, you're supposed to release the children, and then you send them into foster care. I mean, it, it, it's a stone-cold mess. It, it just It just is. Because the idea is, how do you stop them, the caravan, from getting into the country in the first place? Because once they set foot on the U.S., once you step on U.S. soil, then there's all sorts of different protections that that arise. And, of course, again, if you don't detain people, and we've had this conversation before, what we've seen happen is, if you just... You take people into custody, you book them, and you say, all right, come back in 30 days for hearing... A huge percentage of those people never come back for a hearing. They just sort of disappear into the U.S. 414-799-1620. Tom in Elmira. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. It, it's the perfect justification for the wall. You know, you can stop them. You can slow them down, hurt them, corral them, do whatever you need to do. But you just can't have an influx come over the border and throw up your hands and say, what do we do? That's why we need a secure border. Mm -hmm. And you think the wall is the way to secure that border? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I I really do. How else do you do it? They had the bridge in Guatemala. They held them up to the bridge, and then they came over in rafts. They couldn't stop them. So we have the same thing with our border river. Um, You've got to stop it. 
you got to be proactive, not reactive. Right, because I mean, thanks, because once you again, once you get onto American soil. There's all sorts of these different protections that, that end up kicking in. And my concern about the wall has always been, I just fixed, I, I've always thought that people go around. First of all, as a practical matter, you can't build a wall along you know, certain portions of the Mexican-U.S. border. It's just not, it's impossible to do that. Um, and, and people always figure out ways to get around this. I mean, here's, I, if I were President Trump, here, here's the first thing I would be doing. I would be on the phone with the Mexican president, and I'd be trying to work something out that stops the group from getting to the border in the first place. Now, that's that's what you have to do, because if and that's in, in fairness to Mexico. And I understand people like to beat up on the Mexican government for all sorts of things. In fairness to Mexico, a lot of these caravans have, in fact, been broken up before it gets to the U.S. border. And and that, to me, is where the battle needs to be fought. Stop the group from getting to the U.S. border. And if the U.S. needs to, I don't know, provide fiscal assistance or something like that to the Mexican government to help make that happen. Because the reality is, once this caravan gets to the United States border, you're talking about a completely and totally different picture. I think the answer is, if it gets to that stage, what has to happen is the families have to be arrested, and I think the families need to be taken to kept together. But at the same point in time, I, we're, we're running out of places to put, if all of a sudden you have 5,000 people, including men, women, and children, that come into this country, I, I, we're running out of detention facilities as the places to keep them, which is why the law desperately needs to be changed to allow us to have more freedom to turn people around and send them back where they came from right away. And if that sounds heartless, I, I'm sorry, but the truth is you, you can't have thousands and thousands of people illegally entering this country on a regular basis. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Debbie in Menominee Falls. Debbie, you're on WTMJ. Hi, I agree with what most of what you just said with um, getting together with the Mexican government to help right. them. But under no way, shape, or form do you let them in at all. Because I heard on one of the NPRs or something like that, they were in they were talking to some of these people, and some of them were saying, we want to vote, we want to vote, we want to vote. And you've got to keep them out of the country until after the election, at least. Well, I, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, this is, I mean, the election's coming up in two weeks, so this isn't going to happen then. But, but, but let me ask you the tough question, Debbie, and this is why it, it's so difficult to deal with this issue. All right, let's say you have a group. Three, three, four, five, six, seven thousand people that present themselves en masse at the U.S. border and they start marching on the border. What do you tell even? Okay, let's let's say you've got the the military that's out there. What do you tell them to do? I mean, our first caller said, "Shoot!" Oh, you can't shoot. I mean, what what do you, what do you tell the military to do? You can't shoot, but you have to have a show of force and you have to be strong. I don't I don't know the answer, but. Um, I think you got to stop them, help get help stopping them before that point, because Mexico doesn't want them either. Well, right, no, exactly, no. That's I mean, no. Thanks. See, that's where 
See, that's where, and this is where, what's this word we use from time to time? This is where, to me, diplomacy comes in. And, I mean, it's not just a U.S. problem. It's a U.S. problem when they get to the border, but it's also a Mexico problem because a lot of times these people, again, end end up in in Mexico because the caravans don't get all the way here. And, look, I understand the optics of this. And I, I've got a couple texts from people saying, we're a Christian society and we need to be, you know, opening. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I, you, no country in the world it, can, can sustain completely and totally open borders. I mean, that, that's just the reality. Yes, we are a country that has been built on immigration, but it's been built on legal immigration. And you can't simply allow thousands and thousands of people to come streaming across the border on a regular basis with, you know, no, no assets, no way of supporting themselves. You, you can't do that. It will overwhelm the country, but it will particularly overwhelm those states that are along the border. So, I mean, the, the bottom line is I, I think you have to end up breaking this off somehow. It's going to be interesting. If I am the president, this is one where I am trying to reach out to Mexico and I'm saying, okay, what can we do collectively? Because that's the bottom line. You've got to stop this before it gets to the border because once it gets to the border, then you're either risking a very ugly confrontation or you're saying, all right, can we arrest and detain thousands and thousands of people? And the question becomes where? What a mess. Stay tuned. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Good to be back. I'll be here. I don't think I have any vacation scheduled between now and the very end of the year. So, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, you're going to be stuck with me, I think, for another couple months here or so. Um, until after, I don't think I have any vacation. Actually, I don't, right around Christmas time and then maybe towards the end of January and February. But uh, other than that, I'm here. Brewer season is over. Now Wisconsin sports fans shift their attention to the undefeated Milwaukee Bucks. They're back at it from Pfizer Forum against the New York Knicks. Ted Davis is on the call. Our coverage starts at 6.30 this evening. All right. So as I was saying, I... I my brother and I were in Las Vegas over the weekend. And in Las Vegas, you can bet on pretty much anything that you choose to. You can bet on English Premier League football. I did. And here's the thing. This shows you, I mean, I was on a roll. Call me butter. Uh, because I I bet that Chelsea and Manchester United would tie. Who thinks that you're going to bet on soccer, number one? And then who bets on a tie? Well, I did. And it tied. And it actually, it, it, it paid off pretty well. It's just... It was it was kind of this amazing thing. But you know what? Even though you can bet on almost anything in Las Vegas, the one thing you cannot do in Las Vegas is you cannot play the lottery. Uh, Mega Millions, let me see, make sure I have this right. Mega Millions is available in 44 states. Um, it is not available in in Nevada. Powerball, same sort of thing. I'm not sure exactly how many states it's available in, but, but you, and I think it's because of the gambling casino interests. They don't have, they don't have either Powerball or Mega Millions in Las Vegas. So on Friday, when there was going to be that, that big drawing, there were all sorts of people, again, the casino employees that I was sitting there talking to, and they, they were getting caravans. If you want to buy a ticket, what you would do is you would drive 30 or 40 miles to the California border. Now, the, the California Nevada border is is desert, and and you you so you cross the border and you drive until you presumably find some gas station or something somewhere and you buy the lottery tickets at it and you drive back. Well, 
but it was just just amazing because everybody wanted to do that. Well, we we know there were the big drawings over the weekend, and we know that uh, people you know did not win. So here's here is the deal: Mega Millions, um, Mega Millions. Now the first of all, it's two bucks to buy in, not one dollar. And um, Mega Millions, the odds of winning are one in three hundred and two million. That's the odd one in three hundred and two million. But nevertheless, those numbers are are going through the roof and they anticipate that when they have the drawing, what's the drawing tomorrow night? uh, One point six billion dollars in the Mega Millions jackpot. Now, if that's not enough, there were no winners in the Powerball jackpot on Saturday. So the next jackpot for that drawing on Wednesday is going to be six hundred and twenty million. Now, now. Just to give you a little perspective, Mega Millions, the odds of winning, again, what did I say, one in 302 million? Well, Powerball, the odds are one in 292 million. So Powerball is a is a relative, I mean, it's a relative steal, you know, com- comparatively, uh, but at the same time, it, it's a smaller thing. I, I talked to several people back here when I was in Las Vegas, because some people were saying, oh, you should... You should, you know, buy some tickets there. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to rent a car, take a cab, or take an Uber 30 miles into the desert just to buy tickets that you could buy at home. But, but regardless, I have to tell you, I cannot tell you how many people I knew, I know, that were running out all across the country and buying tickets for these drawings. Now, these are people that, under normal circumstances, would never, ever, ever place a bet on anything much less buy a lottery ticket. But the idea was, well, it, it's $500 million or it's close to a billion dollars or whatever it is, that could be life-changing. So I'm going to go out and buy a ticket. To which I would say, you mean if you won $50 million, that wouldn't be life-changing? Well, yeah, I understand, but but now it's really worth it. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you caught lottery fever? Are you going to be going out, or have you already perhaps done it, in anticipation of the drawing tomorrow night, $1.6 billion, in anticipation of the drawing on Wednesday night, the Powerball drawing? Has that, has that big amount, has it seduced you into saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to buy a ticket? And understanding that the odds of you winning, I mean, they, they say the odds are, are, you know, are greater than being struck by lightning. It's a lot greater than being struck by lightning. One in 292 million, one in 302 million. All right, here is my question. Have you caught lottery fever? And will you be buying tickets? And, and why? I mean, do you think you're going to win? What, what's, what is the motivation? I mean, we all would hope we would win, but do you really think you're going to win? Is this just kind of throwing money away? Are you going to be participating? Are you going to be playing and why? I'll tell you how I'm going to handle this in just a minute as well. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you caught lottery fever? If you're on the line, please hold on. 1241 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1245 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you caught lottery fever? The Mega Millions drawing, which is tomorrow, $1.6 billion. Uh, the odds of winning, da, 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 the odds of winning are one in 302 million. 
And and those are, are pretty long odds. Mega Millions tickets can be purchased in 44 states. You, you can't buy them in Las Vegas, interestingly enough. You can't buy them in Nevada. Here, here's to give you a perspective of the way it, it worked last weekend. One local Nebraska uh, newspaper was reporting that tickets were selling at a rate of about 400 a minute on Friday. In California, the lottery Thursday sold 5.7 million during the first half of the day. So it, it is staggering that the number of people that are buying, which is what's driving up the, the, these huge, these huge costs, despite the fact that it's one in 302 million. Uh, so here's a couple of our texts. Jeff, I bought two Mega Millions tickets last Saturday morning. I'm on day three of pretending I'm going to win, and I'm fantasizing on what to do with all that money. It only costs me 50 cents a day. That's from Becky. Here's another text. Jeff, I have the luck of the Irish, so I only buy one of each. It's fun to think about what I would do if I won. That. Okay, so, Gru, I didn't ask you. Do you participate in this? Are you going to buy lottery tickets? You're not. All right. You're no, no interest at all. Okay. No, no, I, I, see, I, I get it because I, I am a gambling guy, but the lottery, I just, 302 million. But here, here is what I will do. Now, I don't know if I participated a mere 50 or 60 million because that wouldn't necessarily be life changing. <clears throat> but, but three, you know, but 1.6 billion, I will, either myself or my lovely and charming wife, we will buy one ticket, one ticket because it only takes one ticket to win. And even though I recognize that when I'm going into that convenience store or wherever I go and I'm taking those $2 for the Mega Millions and the dollar for the Powerball, but the $2 for the Mega Millions, I might, I'm probably better off just sitting outside the convenience store, pulling out a Zippo lighter and lighting that $2 on fire. I understand that it is effectively the same thing, but just, just like um, Becky, you can dream. And I guess that's how I look at it. For two bucks, you get a chance to have this sort of fantasy to say, if all of a sudden I was wealthy beyond the dreams of avarice, you know, I'll pay all my taxes. What After that, still have a whole bunch of money left over. What would I do? And so you're essentially kind of buying that daydream for a day or two days or three or four days. She calculates it to be 50 cents a day. That's to me what it is. Now, what what I think it's scary sometimes and with all due respect to people who play the lotteries on a regular basis, I mean, the, the odds are, are not in your favor. That is just the reality. So it does kind of get scary sometimes is when you have people who, instead of just saying, okay, I'm going to do this for fun. Here's, I'm buying the one ticket or I'm buying the two tickets and, and that's, that's fine. And if I win, that's fine, but I'm only in four bucks. When you see the people that decide, okay, we're, we're going to buy lots and lots of these tickets because we, we think that that's going to make a difference. Well, okay. The odds are one in 302 million. If you're dropping a couple hundred bucks or more than that, you're, it's one thing to go out and sit in the parking lot and burn $2. It's another thing. And I would never tell people how to spend their money, but it's another thing to burn hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And, and that's, that's where I think you draw the line. But how will I be playing mega millions? Well, I'm, I'm either Fran or I, one of the two of us, we're going to buy a ticket. Guarantee it. We'll buy a ticket. If our number comes in Tuesday, I'll come back Wednesday to tell you all about it. But I, I'm not, again, you're just kind of buying that dream. What would you end up doing with it? And if you choose to play yourself, I wish you the best of luck. I mean, if it can't be me that wins, i just as soon it be you. All right. We have an election coming up two weeks from tomorrow. 
A lot of people seem to think Governor Walker is in trouble. Some people are just rubbing their hands together, gloating about Governor Walker being in trouble. I sent out about a tweet about this a couple hours ago. I think those people might be disappointed. We're going to talk about the Walker re-election campaign in just a moment. Stick around. 1249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Who could have seen this coming? In the People's Republic of Shorewood, where they have problems like we, we, we've got the snowflakes and, and we can't stage the play to kill a mockingbird because somebody might be offended, they throw away, they throw around, in some communities they throw around taxpayer dollars like they were manhole covers. In Shorewood, you throw around taxpayer dollars like they were dimes. I, we talked about this a couple years ago, and I hate to say I told you so, but I, I told you so. Many communities have these programs where to help businesses and to help business development, they will have small grants for what they call facade improvements, you know, to help a business, for example, that's moving in to to improve the the outside, the exterior of the building so it, it looks better. And it just it's sort of a way to kind of say, welcome to the neighborhood and here we'll we'll help you out. Generally speaking, there are are limits as to the amount that a community will give. For example, in Whitefish Bay, um, $7,500 is the most that they will give a business for a facade, an exterior improvement. You know, everything else has to come from the local business. Um, Milwaukee and Wauwatosa, they've got a $5,000 limit on facade improvements because, again, this isn't something that's going to really determine whether or not the building is going to stay and whether the business is going to succeed, but it's kind of a, a nice little public thing. All right. Shorewood. Shorewood used to limit the facade improvements to $25,000, which is crazy money compared to what they do in other suburbs. Just, just absolutely crazy money. But in Shorewood, the People's Republic of, where, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll throw money at anything. They have taken to giving even larger amounts for these facade improvements. Now, two years ago, the, the people that founded Collectivo Coffee, they wanted to renovate this Verizon building on Oakland Avenue. And, and so they leased it from the people that owned it. And then they went to the village and they said, well, we'd like some facade improvements. Now, keep in mind, in the neighboring community of Whitefish Bay, it's $7,500. Shorewood, it's $25,000. Shorewood gave this outfit. They, they built it was a restaurant called the Ruckus. Now you've got a million restaurants that are around. Look, I love going out to eat. Some restaurants succeed. Lots and lots of restaurants fail. It's a risky sort of proposition. Shorewood gave these folks a hundred and three thousand dollars. A hundred and three thousand dollars for facade improvements. So they took the $103,000, they opened in January of 2017, uh, the news, the ruckus. After less than two years in business, closed. <laughs> Friday, October 19th, the ruckus owners thanked people, said the last day of business was yesterday. So th- this restaurant, as many restaurants do, now I never went to this one, it, it served burgers and things like that, uh, but it, it failed. And that's what happens with lots of restaurants, that they end up failing. It's why, while I very much believe that it is appropriate, you know, to help business from time to time, it's why if you are going to be a good steward of taxpayer dollars, 
you, you can't just throw large amounts of money at picking winners and choosers. And in this particular case, this was a decision that was predictably bad from the beginning. And it repeats a pattern of predictably bad decisions that Shorewood has made over the years in trying to, uh, again, it's one thing to encourage business development. I'm all in favor of that. But it's another thing to take large amounts of money and, and throw it into some of these startup businesses that may or may not succeed. And in this case, $103,000 for facade improvement of this building. The folks that, uh, again, used that, the building facade was improved, restaurant gone under, and now presumably, I don't think the folks in Shorewood are going to be getting that money back. Gee, who could have seen that coming? All right. Two weeks from tomorrow, there are the elections. These are the midterm elections. We'll we'll talk more about this as we get closer. But nationally, it appears that the blue wave that some people predicted that we're going to sweep Democrats into control of the U.S. Senate, that doesn't appear that it's happening. Again, who knows what's going to happen two weeks from now, but it it doesn't appear that that's happening. Whether or not the Democrats can pick up the 20-plus seats they need to take the House, that's, that's a tougher battle. And I think it's going to go down to the wire on election night. Here in Wisconsin, the you, you've got two statewide elections that people are following. One is, of course, the, the Tammy Baldwin-Leah Vukmir race. It's tough to beat an incumbent U.S. senator. Secondly, Scott Walker and Tony Evers. The polls, the latest Marquette Law School poll had Walker ahead. There's this one poll that's really not worth the price of admission that suggests that Evers is is way ahead. But for really the third election in a row, actually probably the fourth if you count the recall, the Democrats have nominated an uninspiring candidate. Tony Evers, say what you want about him. Tony Evers, I don't think that there's a lot of people out there who are saying, I want to run through a brick wall to vote for Tony Evers. He's just not that type of candidate. I looked, I I was, like I say, I was in Las Vegas over the weekend, so I I did not watch the entire debate on Friday, but he, he is, I think, uninspiring. To the extent that Tony Evers wins, I think it's not because there is a pro-Tony Evers movement that's out there. Oh, my gosh, this is the greatest guy in the world, just like it was in the recall election and just like it was four years ago. To the extent Evers wins, it is because you've got people who don't like Governor Walker. So it's the anti-Walker vote. Now, that has always been balanced out in the past by the people who will run through the brick wall to vote for Scott Walker because he inspires that type of response. Big story in the Madison paper, Scott Walker confronts dire political outlook. And it talks about how, okay, Walker's been around for a long time. He's upset a whole bunch of people. And this might be the year that he ends up losing. 414-799-1620. I'm going out on a limb two weeks before the election. I don't see it happening. It's 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Good to be back. Good to be back. It seems like I've been traveling quite a bit lately, so it's nice to be in the big chair. Elections coming up two weeks from tomorrow in Wisconsin, and and I think nationally, one of the races that's being watched is the Scott Walker's Tony Evers race. As I said a couple minutes ago, my, I, I don't 
I don't sense anybody saying, oh my gosh, Tony Evers, All right, we're going we're to run through a wall to go vote for him. Uh, again, as this has been in previous elections, the question is, is the anti-Walker sentiment, is there going to be enough to vote out a governor who candidly has had incredible successes over the eight last eight years. If you look at where Wisconsin was eight years ago with regarding to taxes and unemployment and things like that, and you look at where this state is now, it, it this is not election, an election that should be close. But at the same time, I understand that you have all these dynamics that are out there. People get fatigued. Oh, the same guy's been in for a while. All right, maybe it's time for a change, even though it's not necessarily going to be a change for the better. I I understand that. And I also understand that you have a particularly odd political year now, given the fact that you, you have the Trump factor that's there. And you never know how that is going to play. Are you going to have Democrats um, motivated to rush out and send a message that they don't like Donald Trump by voting against anybody that's got an R, you know, after his or her name? That is always the dynamic. On the other hand, uh, if you look at some of these national polls that are out there, more and more people are starting to realize or at least come to the belief that Donald Trump, for all his perhaps perceived flaws and faults, It's been doing a pretty decent job. And I will tell you this, the one thing that nobody knows, no pundit knows, no pollster knows for sure, is how that is going to play out, if at all. I think, at the end of the day, Governor Walker wins. I I don't know if this is going to be by the largest margin of victory, but what I think has happened, again, is I think the Democrats have made a huge mistake in, again, not nominating somebody who is going to essentially run on their own merits, but rather simply be the anti-Walker. And as I have said before, in both contexts, when you had Republican incumbents and you had Democratic incumbents, I don't think you can beat somebody with nobody. So I think at the end of the day, Walker emerges. But it's two weeks away. I want to get your sense. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Is Governor Walker in trouble electorally? And how much trouble is he in? Do you think Walker wins? Story in the, again, the the Madison newspaper, Scott Walker confronts dire political outlook. Again, talking about Trump and things like that. And what some people would describe as the enthusiasm gap. This perception that Democrats are much more motivated to come out and vote than Republicans are. I don't necessarily see that. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Is Governor Walker in trouble? Um, Or, for the people who were enthusiastic about voting for him in the past, are they going to continue to be enthusiastic? All right, we're going to discuss in just a moment. I think Walker wins, but I'm willing to... I am willing to discuss. It's 112. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where do you come down on this? Stick around. 115, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Huh, Tammy Baldwin buying ads in my program. Welcome. 414-799-1620. Is Governor Walker in trouble two weeks from tomorrow? Steve in Waukesha. Steve, you're first. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I voted for Scott Walker in the last two elections, but as they say, memories are long. And immediately after Scott Walker got elected the second time, um, he said, if right-to-work legislation comes across my desk, I'll sign it. 
But before he was elected, he said, I don't want to see it come across my desk. Um, I know a lot of trade union members who are conservative um, who don't forget that. When, when it comes to prevailing rage and right to work, uh, they kind of feel betrayed. So based so, on that issue, you're planning on voting for Evers? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. And I, I'm a conservative, but um, I just felt like I was lied to. Okay. Do you think Evers will be a better governor for for um, – do you think he's going to do more to help your interests out than Walker has done? I know what you're asking me. You're asking me if, um, if, if this is an anti-Walker vote or if it's an I support Evers vote. Um, I, I really, truly do not want to have either party in total control ever again. They both go extreme. Um, they don't represent the interests of the people that vote them into office. Um, so I'm, I'm, I don't care anymore. I'm just, I'm, I wish there were a third party to vote for because I don't really care for either candidate. But again, Scott Walker, um, he misled me and I will not vote for him. Okay. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. I, I will tell you this. And this, this is what happens when, you have people who are in elected office for a long time, especially ones who've, who've done a lot of stuff like, like Governor Walker has, that along the way you tick off people on, on single issues. I mean, I've heard from a couple of people say, well, I'm, I'm never going to forgive Governor Walker because he wouldn't allow them to turn the, uh, he wouldn't allow them to turn the Dairyland Greyhound track into a, into a casino. Now, of course, the, the, the reality of that is, because of the the deals that Jim Doyle cut, it's it wasn't just a simple up or down type of thing, and you're looking at litigation that would have lasted for years and years. But nonetheless, I mean, I that that's what I heard. I'm, I'm not going to vote for him because of this issue or that issue. And then I would typically ask people what I just last our last caller, Steve. Well, okay, is it that that single issue that's got you so upset? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. How much trouble is Scott Walker in, if any? Dan in Sockville. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes. I, thanks to Jeff Walker. For, sure. Um, I really want to support Jeff Walker. I really want to give Tony Everett a chance as well because I was Republican. I have uh, um, learning disabilities. But I, like I said, I want to see what Scott Walker can do for us for the next four years. Mm-hmm. I think he's doing a great job. But I have two people. I understand there's all this hearsay and stuff. We can't really go by here, so we have to go by the truth. Right. And I live by the truth, and I think it's really important for American people to be opinionated, but we have to understand who's the best candidate for us, and I think Scott Walker is our best candidate. Thanks for calling, Dan. Well, I mean, I, I will tell you that people do have, and it's one of the, Steve earlier, our first caller alluded to that, people have really short memories. And I guess one of the frustrating things to me in this whole debate has been people forget where the state of Wisconsin was eight years ago. I mean, high taxes, high unemployment, a, an economic picture that was certainly not extremely rosy. Now, I, I understand you, you can't attribute anything to one person necessarily. But I mean, I remember after the battle about Act 10, people predicted, oh, this is going to be the end of, you know, public employees and this is going to be terrible and services are going to go, you know, down. And, and none of that happened. I mean, now, look, I, I understand. That there's public employees out there who don't like the fact that they now have to contribute a little bit to their pension. I, I get it. I understand there's public employees out there who don't like the fact that now maybe they have to pay a little bit more for their health care. All right. I, I, I understand that. 
But at the same time, if you end up looking at this big picture and you look at where Wisconsin is now with the development, bringing something like Foxconn in, which is going to be, again, in my opinion, it's a game changer. I don't I was going to say I don't know. I don't think that happens if you don't have leadership like coming from Scott Walker. I just simply don't think that that happens. But I understand people get tired. People forget about stuff. And people are perhaps not as enthusiastic. Now, look, the reality is during, for example, the recall election in 2012, people were willing to run through walls to vote for Scott Walker. I I think there were a lot of people who just thought that the recall was a bridge too far. It was unfair. 2014, the fact is the Democrats put up an uninspiring candidate and the I don't like Scott Walker sentiment wasn't enough to overcome that. 2018, with perhaps an enthusiasm gap on the other side, is going to be more interesting. I still, however, think that he comes through. Uh, For example, I I give you an idea. I'm getting texts, people saying, Scott Walker had a chance to be a leader with regard to the Kenosha Casino proposal. He fell short, thumbs down to him this time around. So, all right, he he was kind of hamstrung by these gambling compacts that Jim Doyle put into effect he didn't launch the state into five or six years of litigation that they would probably lost with the tribe so i'm not going to vote for him because i didn't get the kenosha casino and and by the way i think i think that he you know i mean i i think that i would have liked to have seen a casino there or pay a little more i i i had to pay a lot more because of act 10 do better research well had to pay a little more that's and yes it did bring the public sector a little more in line with the private sector but I, I get it. There, there's this hate walker sentiment that's out there. I still think at the end of the day, he emerges a victor two weeks from now. And in part, I think because, like I say, you can't beat somebody with nobody. But that's what we have elections for. It's 121. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Brewer season is over, and now Wisconsin sports fans shift their attention back to the undefeated Milwaukee Bucks. They're back at it from Fiserv Forum against the New York Knicks. Ted Davis is on the call. Our coverage starts at 6.30 this evening. All right, Rue, who's producing the show today and always. This is an issue that divides a lot of people in politics. And it I, I know that there are people who I like and respect who have a completely different thought on this than, than me. And that is, it's the issue of yard signs. Now, l- let me kind of back into this because years and years and years ago, when I took the one and only foray into politics and if my wife is listening i promise it was the one and only foray into politics there are all these people saying you got to get yard signs and i was running a statewide race yard signs back then were expensive i mean comparatively they they were they were expensive and you know people would sign up for them and that's great because it's a way that somebody can go out and support their candidate they can put a sign in their yard but did i mention yard signs are are expensive and when the person lives in a cul-de-sac or whatever, you put the yard sign up there and maybe four or five of their neighbors end up seeing them. I came to the conclusion that I think, as a general rule, yard signs are essentially useless. They, again, to the extent that it gives somebody who feels strongly about a candidate, it gives them it gives them a chance to go out and, and express that support in a visible way by sticking that sign in, in their yard. And there is, I guess, a value to that. I don't know anybody in my life who has ever decided to vote for or against a candidate, with one exception I'm going to tell you about, 
for because like your neighbor has a yard sign up. Oh, my neighbor's got a sign up saying they support Gru. I'm going to go vote Gru. Now, I, I do admit that, you know, in my old neighborhood, there was this guy who was wrong on every issue. And on some local candidates, when I saw, the, and I didn't know anything about the particular race, and I saw that this guy had a yard sign for that candidate, it told me to go the other way. But as far as the, the major candidates that, that, that people know about, you know, Glenn Grothman is your congressman, all right? Jim Sensenbrenner is your congressman. It is a Grothman yard sign or a yard sign for whoever's running against Grothman or a Sensenbrenner yard sign or does a Tony Evers yard sign, does that have a value? Now, I understand that there's a lot of very experienced political operatives out there who I respect, their opinion, who, who believe that, okay, this is the grassroots. you got to get the yard signs out there. This is how you communicate. My take has always been, again, beyond the value of giving somebody something concrete to do to express the fact that they support a candidate. Beyond that fact, yard signs don't change votes at, at all. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. But let's tee this up. And I'm legitimately curious. Uh, do you think yard signs are an effective campaign tool? Do you decide, gee, I, I'm going to vote for a candidate or not vote for a candidate because I saw a half dozen yard signs that are up there? And I do understand that yard signs become somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy because sometimes people will tell me, uh-oh, I this this particular candidate that they're, they're they're in trouble because you know in my neighborhood there were all these other yard signs for the opposing candidate. And almost always, well, in in those particular cases, people are then surprised when the guy or the gal that had the fewer yard signs, they end up winning big time. All right, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Do yard signs make a difference? Is your vote ever influenced by, again, a yard sign that you might see. All right, let's see. Let's go to our text line. I do feel that for smaller positions, name recognition goes a long way. For example, someone might not vote in two weeks specifically for Walker or Evers, but they might not know other names um, on the ballot. So that comes down to name recognition, um, especially for names that might not look like they sound. Yeah. I, again, I, I think that for some people, there is a value, I, I, I guess, and, and, you know, you get to show your support to the candidate. But again, I don't know anybody in real life who has ever said, I'm going to vote for so-and-so because my neighbor has a yard sign. Or I saw driving the work, I saw six yard signs that said, Bill Stat for Congress. So I'm going to vote for Bill Stat for Congress. I, I just don't think that's how the real world works. And if you understand how expensive yard signs are, to me, you're, you're much better off spending that money in other places. Like I say, though, there's a lot of you know longtime political operatives who treasure the whole idea of grassroots, and I appreciate all that, who simply, they want to go out and say, okay, well, this is, you know, you, you got to have the yard signs. You've got to show the community support. Now, I think, I think there's all sorts of bigger ways to do that. So my cautionary tale is, over the course of the next couple weeks, if you're trying to figure out, you know, who's going to win a particular race, and there's all sorts of different tea leaves that you can look at, and there's all sorts of indicators that you can have, but if you're trying to figure out who's going to win a particular race, and you're basing it on the fact that, well, in my neighborhood, I saw seven signs for Scott Walker, and I saw ten signs for Tony Evers, and that means Evers is going to win, 
No, it, it, it doesn't. It just means that a relative handful of people in your neighborhood happen to feel extremely motivated or whatever. Or maybe you were, you know, you're living on a block where there's a lot of public employees who still haven't, you know, forgiven Scott Walker for Act 10 or whatever. But that's not going to necessarily be the indicator. So be careful trying to figure it out. I continue to believe that yard signs a huge, huge waste of money. But again, I understand that there's some people who just say, oh, well, how can you say that, Jeff? You can't have it. Well, I just think that they end up being a waste of money. And again, just think back on all the yard signs you see two weeks from tomorrow and then say, okay, did that translate into victory? Sometimes yes, most times no. It's 134, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, the holidays right around the corner, and we are back with our annual radio show. WTMJ, that's us, presents The Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller, the one and only Jane Matinair, and yours truly, plus a sleigh full of Wisconsin celebrities from Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee on Monday, November 26th at 6.30. The live radio play will be recorded in front of a studio audience, and we would like you to be part of it. Buy tickets now. Go to WTMJ.com or text the word Christmas to 414-799-1620. As, as I say, the um, we've done this for three years in a row. It is sold out. It sells out quickly. Tickets are 25 bucks, and a portion of that goes to charity. The my, my recommendation is do not be shut out because inevitably what what has happened the last couple of years is a few weeks beforehand, you know, we, we, we sell out quickly and then people will contact me and they say, hey, Jeff, can you get me four tickets? And I'll say, well, I, I really I, I don't have a stack of these tickets in my back pocket and I'm lucky to get one for myself and my wife. Or Actually, I don't need one. I get a pass. But you get the point. Uh, bottom line is it's always a lot of fun at Turner Hall. This year, the radio play is going to be presented Monday, November 26th at 630. So be part Part of it. Buy your tickets now. Do not be shut out. One interesting thought on our, our yard sign discussion. Somebody texted in, says, well, look, here, here's the deal. I am looking at billboards right now. I'm looking at a billboard for Planet Fitness and another one across the street for the United States Marines. So you're saying that these companies and hundreds of thousands of them are wasting their money on advertising? No, not at all. But billboards are different than political yard signs. And, and I, I understand that there, you might say, well, a sign is a sign, but, but it's not. It's one thing if you want to promote, if you want to promote brand awareness and you have the billboard saying, Hey, come to my particular gym and you're informing people about the gym. All right. That, that's fine. That's trying to introduce somebody to it. It's another thing to say, Hey, my neighbor's got a yard sign that says I'm going to vote for X person. Uh, I think it's completely different, but I understand. There are candidates out there who spend money on yard signs. I think most of them come to regret it. All right, let us switch gears. A couple weeks ago, I was in Europe, and it was really interesting to talk to, particularly when we were in Hungary, we were in Budapest. And Budapest, as I said, I always thought it was one city. I, I, I learned Budapest is actually two cities divided by its Buda and Pest. And they are very clear to say when you're over there, it's not Pest. It's not Budapest, P-E-S-T. It's Budapest, you know, because they understand what, what Pest means. But it, it's divided by the Danube River. And it, it's really interesting because Hungary was behind the Iron Curtain. And it wasn't open till the West, till the essentially the, the fall of the Iron Curtain in, in 1990. And it, it's fascinating to talk to these people who actually lived under Russian rule and cannot stand the Russians and cannot stand the, the, the communism slash socialism. They just talk about how bleak their lives were. 
and how much better it is since you have that Western influence. And I find that to be very interesting, of course, because you've got Bernie Sanders in Milwaukee today. Bernie Sanders is a socialist and talking about how, you know, what we need to do is we need to redistribute wealth and things like that. Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris is a, a senator from California. And she, along with Elizabeth Warren and a couple others, she, th- this is the new whacked out far left. And Kamala Harris is going to be one of many people who run for, for president in 2020. And one of the things that's been interesting over the last couple of years is for, for years and years, people on the left shied away from the notion of, of let's talk about socialism and let's talk about wealth redistribution. And, and now that's kind of changed. Now the idea is, nope, 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 what we need to do is we need to take from people who have money and we need to distribute it to people who do not have money. And this idea that there's free stuff out there, this will have the appeal. And now this is becoming sort of a commonplace, mainstream kind of thing. All It's interesting that Kamala Harris is from California, and all you have to do is look at California. And California, because of policies like this, has become a complete and total fiscal train wreck. But that's not stopping people from blasting ahead. So anyhow, late last week, Kamala Harris, and again, she wants to be president. She came out with this plan saying, here's what I want to do. I want to get rid of the Trump tax cuts. You know, what, what Congress did, the Tax Reform Act, and uh, honestly... I'm, I'm, one of the things I'm kind of curious about is when I sit down or actually have my accountant this year sit down and do the taxes, I don't know whether I'm going to be better off or worse off, you know, under the new tax thing. I, I just, I, I don't because I'm going to lose some deductions. I'm going to gain some. I, I don't know how it's going to all work out. But anyhow, she says, you know what? She says, the problem is that the people who have money in this country, they don't pay enough in taxes. And what the Republicans did and what President Trump did with tax reform, that just made the problem worse. So what she says is, look, I want to, I want to repeal all these tax cuts. All right. I want to go back to the way things were. And then what I want to do with the money is I want to give families up to $6,000 a year, just free money. Here's what she says she wants to do. She wants to create a new tax credit for up to $3,000 for individuals or $6,000 for households. You could receive your money in a lump sum after filing your tax return. So if you file the tax return, after you file, you could get $6,000 in cash back or you could get a, an installment every month of 250 to five. Hundred dollars. You could just get a check from the government. Um, the credits would be refundable, which means that even if you didn't owe any taxes, you get the money anyhow. So even if you're the in that, what's the number now? 46, 47, 48 percent of Americans who don't pay any federal income tax, you would nevertheless, you would still qualify to get your three or six thousand dollars back. Now, you might say to me, well, Jeff. What 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 exactly is a working class family? Who is going to get this money back? And under the Harris plan, households earning up to one hundred thousand dollars would be eligible. So if you make under one hundred thousand dollars, she would give you six thousand dollars back.
All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Free money from the government. Let's take the money that, I don't know, that the evil rich people have that they don't work for and that they don't need. So let's take that money from them and then let's give it to everybody else, regardless of whether people pay taxes or not, $3,000 for individuals, $6,000 for families. Wouldn't that be a great thing? I mean, couldn't everybody just enjoy getting $6,000 from the federal government? Who would object to that? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, so let's tee this up. What do you think? Would that be a wonderful thing to all of a sudden have the federal government giving, well, pretty much the vast majority of people probably three to six thousand dollars back and you can have it every month if you want or you can have it, you know, just in a lump sum. Is there such a thing as a free lunch? 414-799-1620. We'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 143, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Kevin texts, the plan is just plain silly. There's no cost for tax cuts. It's us keeping our money. This plan has a cost because people who don't pay taxes would receive money that's not theirs. That's exactly right. This is this is what Kamala Harris is talking about, but other mainstream Democrats are signing on to this, and this will be an issue in 2020. It is take from the people who have more than they need and give it to other people in the form of, again, tax credits, but that's really a misnomer because even if you don't pay taxes, you'll get it. Here's a free $6,000. It's free, and the government is just taking it from somebody who doesn't need it as much because, oh, you make $125,000 a year. You're, you're making too much money here. Let's take it and give it to someone else. All right, th- this is... This is the step to socialism. Now, I mean, socialism doesn't work, but are we too stupid to realize that in the United States? And yes, I understood. I used the word stupid. Keith in Racine. Keith, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Well, good afternoon. Yeah, the scary part about that, it just might work. It's like when I was in the union and they would negotiate contracts and the unions, the, the, the union representatives didn't quite like the contract at all. They were, they were sure that when they, company puts it up that uh, it won't pass. But then the company goes ahead and throws a $500 bonus to every employee, and that boom, passes like that without understanding you mm-hmm. know, the, the long-term problems it's going to bring. And oh, oh right, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is it. It's like, well, I mean, wait a second. You're going to give me. You're going to give me six thousand dollars. I'm going to vote for you. <laughs> what, what, what do I care what happens four or five years down the road? I'm getting six thousand dollars in my pocket now. Thank you, government. Exactly. That's what I was trying to. But I can't stand the thought of it. But what are you going to do? It well, might work for. Uh, well, right. I mean, thanks. It, it might work short term. Long-term, we know, if history is an indicator, it doesn't work. It it didn't work in Russia. It doesn't work in South America. And it's not going to work in the United States. But the problem is people, well, I... I mean, I, I don't know. That that sounds good. I, I You know what I could do with an extra $6,000? Mitch and Surgeon Baytex, people that don't pay any taxes can't get it back. They just get it. It is a flat-out handout. We can't afford this or any of the other nonsensical schemes. It, yes, it it is it is a handout. It is wealth distribution taken from people for whom the government has decided have too much and then distributed to people who don't have as much 
as a way of, well, it, it's fairness, and we don't care what you do with that money. Here, just just take it. Well, who, who's to decide who has too much? And who's to, I mean, of course, the bigger picture of this is one of the things, the great things about this country is that, you know, people, people can set their own course and have their own futures. And, and if you... You know, if you have that idea of working hard and building a better mousetrap and all those things, well, you you can do you can do well. If, on the other hand, we want everybody to be even and we want it all to be level, and we want to say to some people, okay, well, you don't have an incentive to work hard, or you don't have an incentive to try to you know work on your talents or develop your talents because you know we're we're going to treat you the same way as the person who sits on mom's couch and at the age of forty. Well, all right, is that the country you want to live in? Danny in Wild Rose. Danny, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I guess you, you pretty much stole what I was going to say just now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm a, I'm Great a, minds think alike. Yeah. No, I, you know, I'm a 28-year-old kid, so I'm a, I'm a young guy, you know, pretty young conservative. I, I grew up in a blue-collar family. You know, I think, I think where a lot of people miss the point is, you know, getting free money like this, you kind of start to lose your sense of worth. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was brought up to, you know, my dad's goal was to make me a, a marriable man, right? And putting food on the table and all that kind of stuff. I don't want freebies and stuff like that. And I think that's where a lot of people lose it on this is, you know, we're taught to, to as a father, as a husband, a number of different things to provide for your family, but to earn it and honestly earn it. You know, taking some other man or woman's money so I can provide for my family gives me no sense of pride, whereas earning it and working hard to get it, that's where that comes from. And I think that's one of those things that, as a country, we're somewhat founded on mm-hmm. that is lost in all this. Well, it also gives you no incentive to necessarily have to work hard. I mean, why? What you, if the attitude is kind of like, okay, why, why should you bust your butt if, you know, the person down the street from you is going to work half as hard as you are, but it's still going to all be evened out because they're going to take stuff from you or take, you know, uh, and, and give it to somebody else. I mean, it, it, it kills any sort of individual incentive on, on your part or the part of anybody. Right, right, exactly. No. Well, and, it, and it takes away that provider status, you know, away from husbands and fathers that that's the way that their family's built. You know, um, when you're doing that kind of thing. No, Danny, I think th- thanks for the call. Thanks for listening. My favorite call of the day so far. Yeah, I mean it's th- that that is this idea that's out there that if if you work hard, you can succeed. You know, one of the things I I I I've told this story before years and years and years ago when I was practicing law. I remember I, I was I was doing this I was doing a deposition. And this is this is where and I, I forget what the case was. I, I forget what the case was, but it was a lawsuit. And and I had this woman and I was asking her I said, well, when did you work? You know, when did you work last? And long story short, woman in her 50s had, had worked like two weeks in her life. She had been on welfare her entire life. And her daughter was now on welfare and was headed to being on welfare her entire life. They had been on the government dole. We had created generations of people who were dependent on on the government. And I understand, believe me, that there are some people who are less fortunate out there. I, I get it. And I, I mean, I do think the government exists to be safety nets, but it doesn't exist to be like mattresses. And, and what ends up happening is, you know, under our old welfare system, again, you had generations of people who, number one, were guaranteed that they were going to be close to poverty because there's only so much, there's only so much you can give people on, on the dole, but they ended up getting comfortable with this. And the idea of going out and working for a living or trying to better yourself, it just wasn't something that was there. 
what you see is a movement back to that. And it has this appeal. I understand, hey, it's a free $6,000. Who wouldn't want a free $6,000? Of course, everybody would. But nothing is free. It comes from somewhere. And again, I guess I think, I think this is a scary place where we are in this country with this, this idea that, all right, we're going to talk openly about socialism. We're going to talk openly about wealth redistribution. We're going to talk openly about taking it from people who have too much and giving it to people who don't have enough. That is the thing that you have seen in South American countries over and over again that has ended up in abject failure. And it does scare me that you have mainstream politicians in this country, people who are running for president, who are are talking about doing exactly that. 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Melissa, you know what the number one movie over the weekend was? A Star is Born? No, no. A couple of, you're, you're, <laughs> That's no. a good guess, yeah. Halloween. The Halloween oh, remake with yeah. uh, the Halloween update. Um, That's Jamie Curtis in that? Yeah, yep. Jamie Lee mm. Curtis is back re- reprising her role from the original Halloween movie. If the, the first of the... Well, I was going to say it's a first slasher movie. That's really not probably true, but it was the big one. I mean, I I can remember. I was a uh, I was in college, I think, when Halloween came out, and that was that was a great date movie mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. I, I'm telling you because the, the the stuff that's now horror movie conventions it, it wasn't a convention back then. And I'm I'm telling you, I can remember taking a date to that movie. I think I still have her uh, her like <laughs> where she grabs you, you know, when when the the body jumps up or whatever, or you're yelling, "Don't go into the basement," you know. Even back then. Yeah, but, I'm a fan of scary movies. Are I, you? Yeah, I like Halloween movies. Yeah. Really? Huh. Yeah. All right. No, I, 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 uh, grew. you like it. You're a horror, you're a horror movie, too. You love, you are big into the horror movies. Okay, maybe I, I, Halloween is coming up. That might be Pop Culture Corner at the end of the week. I watch them. I, I just, I don't necessarily like to get scared, but Halloween is an institution. Yeah. Well, I like the Conjuring movies. Those movies are very scary. I think they're done really, really well. What do you think, Rue? The second one's really terrifying. Yeah, if you want to be scared. Conjuring. Okay, all right. Yeah. Okay, well, you, you guys can participate. We'll mark that down. That will be Friday at the 2.30 segment of this program. Right now, I want to talk about something that happened in Coral Springs, Florida. Coral Springs, Florida is oh, about 30 miles northwest of Fort Lauderdale, to, to give you an idea. And Fort Lauderdale is a little bit north of, of Miami. What's interesting to me is there is this video that, if if you watch any of the talking head shows tonight, you will probably see it. It is the latest example of, at least in the minds of some people, police brutality. It is, and if, if you want to see it, again, if you text me the word arrest, A-R-R-E-S-T, 414-799-1620, we'll, we'll send you the, the link. But, but it's a, it's a snippet of cell phone video. And what it shows is two police officers, one male, one female. They have, uh, it, it turns out it's a 14-year-old girl. They have her on the ground. Um, and she, the police officer, you can see him take his fist and hit her, punch her twice in the side. Right? And, and she's, she's struggling. And then there's, and, and that's all. I mean, the, the actual video of this only takes uh, probably about 10 seconds. That, that's all the video. And there's somebody in the background saying, why are you hitting her? And, now the the mother does an interview with CNN and they've hired a lawyer and they're saying oh this is terrible and it's excessive use of force etc cetera, etc. Cetera. What is interesting about this is the Coral Springs Police Department is not going quietly into the good night and, and rather they have decided to go on the offensive. 
Now, again, the, the video is pretty much what I described. You have uh, two police officers. They've got the girl down. Her hands are, like, underneath her body, and the officer punches her with a clenched fist. He punches her twice in the side. They, they don't, they're not whipping on her with a baton or anything like that, but he does clearly punch her. And so the mom is upset about this. They've hired a lawyer who's upset about this. Here's what the police department has to say about this. I'm going to read their statement in its entirety. There is a video that is circulating showing a Coral Springs, showing Coral Springs police department officers arresting a 14 year old female at the Coral Springs Mall on October 18, 2018. That would be last Thursday. As with all social media posts, it shows only the end of the story, not the incident in its entirety, which led up to the arrest. Officers were called to the mall by security about unruly teens who had been harassing patrons and causing a disturbance. Upon meeting with security, an officer was stopped by a mother who indicated her five-year-old child was shoved to the ground by one of the teenagers. In addition, mall security indicated that one of the female teens arrested was seen striking another teenage patron. Security asked the police department to officers to issue a trespass warning and bar the teens from the mall, which they did. So let me interrupt here. So you get this idea. You've got a couple of these teenagers who are just pushing, uh, apparently punching a kid, pushing a five-year-old to the ground, and generally speaking, acting in a very unruly fashion. So the police officers show up. They say, you have to leave. We're going to issue a trespass warning, which means don't come back. All right. Prior to leaving the mall, officers received another call regarding a separate incident. At that time, the teens who had been barred had returned to the mall. One of the male teens was taken into custody without incident. As a result, the female teen seen in the video began cursing, attempting to incite other teens. Officers attempted to take her into custody, at which time she began to fight and resist arrest. Due to her stature and aggressive behavior, officers took her to the ground, attempting her to get, attempting to get her to release her fists. So apparently she had her fists, her hands balled in fists and she wouldn't release them. As seen in the video, she resisted arrest, and in order to have her comply, she was struck in the side to get her to release her clenched fists. She was then handcuffed. After she was handcuffed and officers attempted to place her in the patrol car, she violently kicked one of the officers. She was transported to the police department, identified, and transported to, uh, I think, the juvenile correctional facility. The Coral Springs Police Department believes in transparency. It is important for people to have all the facts before rushing to judgment of an officer's actions when faced with calls for service involving violent suspects, regardless of their age or their gender. All right, so the police say, yes, there is this video, and yes, the officer struck her in the side two times with his fist. But here's the background. They were creating a monster disturbance at the mall, including attacking other people. They had been told to leave the mall. They came back. The guy that this girl was with was arrested. She then began cursing at police officers, trying to incite other teenagers to do whatever. 
When they tried to arrest her, she struggled with the officers. She refused to bring her hands. She had her hands balled up in fists. She refused to comply. And yes, in the struggle, they struck her twice to get her to open her her hands so she could be handcuffed. All right, she's 14. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it ever appropriate for, I guess, and this is the fundamental question, Regardless of the behavior, she wasn't armed, but she was clearly acting in an out-of-control fashion. Is it ever appropriate for an adult police officer to, in this case, he punched her twice in the side to get her to comply and, you know, stop struggling and open up her, her hands so she could be handcuffed, right? Is that ever appropriate? Or she's 14 years old. How dare you lay hands on a 14-year-old? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. Should these police officers be ashamed? Is this excessive force? Or under the circumstances, is the problem not with the police, but with the out-of-control 14-year-old? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. It's 216. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. After a long and wild ride, the Brewers season is finally over. What did we learn and what is the long-term outlook for Craig Council's crew? Play-by-play man Jeff Levering joins John McCure for one final look back at the Brewers National League Championship Series run at 450 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right. Let's see. Um, Matt said, Al, Al in Pewaukee sends me a text saying, a police officer should be able to subdue a 14-year-old girl without punching her. What if she was pregnant? Hmm. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Sarah in Milwaukee. Sarah, you're first. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, police officer, he's an adult, she's 14, he punches her twice in the side. Okay, well, to to comment on what the previous caller said, what if she was on drugs that makes her super strong? Right. That's then a risk for the officer. But secondly, I mean, is is the officer supposed to stop and check her ID to see what age is appropriate to to hit her with a baton? I mean, that's the standard procedure. If she would have just complied in the first place, that never would have had to be an issue. Well, yeah, I you know, I guess Sarah, that that's how I look at this at this too. I mean, I hear, oh, this is excessive force, and you you see this video, and you see a police officer punching this girl in the side twice. You go, oh, but then when you hear the full story, the fact that this was clearly an out of control kid that this was a kid who had been assaultive to other people who, after being forced, told to leave, had come back and was now getting in a fight and, you know, had her fists, you know, balled up and was refusing to comply with officers' orders. Yeah, I mean, yes, it is unfortunate that they had to get physical, but who was it that caused that? It was, in this case, the 14-year-old girl who was out of control. Right, and, and you know, they just show that one part of the video, so now everybody thinks, oh, my gosh, I can't believe the officer did that. But if they saw the whole story, they'd say, well, what the heck is this girl's problem? You well, know, right, Sarah, so my guess is, th- think back to your mom and dad. My And, of course, th- this girl's mom is just offended. She's appalled. She's got this lawyer and stuff. My guess, Sarah, is if you did something like this, you know, in, in, in some mall in the Milwaukee area that did what this woman did, and, you know, your mom and dad found out that the police had to strike you to subdue you, my guess is they, they would probably be more mad at you than they would be at the police. 
Well, yeah. Well, I was raised by a Milwaukee cop, and I know it'd be worse to to come home to dad. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah, you did what? And you did what? And you yeah. pushed a five year old, and they told you to leave, and then you came back, and you started screaming and cursing at the police, and you wouldn't comply. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. Now, th- thanks for the call. No, no, but that. But see, this is the world that that we live in here, and and actually. I mean, I, I applaud the Coral Springs police, at least to this extent, for, for just not, oh, my gosh, we're so sorry that this is so terrible. I mean, the, the bottom line is you had an out-of-control 14-year-old, and if she would have simply complied, and first of all, if she wouldn't have done what she did in the first place, this wouldn't have been an issue. If she hadn't have come back after she was evicted for trespassing for doing these things, and then, of course... She decides to get into this confrontation and resist arrest. And I mean, I don't think the police, as a general rule, they're not carding people saying, okay, well, you're 14 and you're 18. It's like, listen, un- unclench your fists. You are under arrest. Stop struggling. And even after this woman was apparently handcuffed, she still attacked and violently kicked one of the officers. And this is what the mother is going to be upset about? Let's talk to Elizabeth in Green Bay. Elizabeth, here on WTMJ. Hello. Well, I'm kind of right on the same thought as you. Um, be prepared. If you disrespect an officer and you don't comply with them, be prepared for whatever comes your way because they're not there to sit there and wait for you to calm down. They're, they, this has to stop, and it's happening all over the country. They're spitting on officers. Yep. They're yelling at them. They're being disrespectful to them. And these officers are protecting and serving our communities. I wouldn't want to be a cop today with the way we treat our police officers. And you know what? For the mother, she should be taking that girl home, grounding her, disciplining her, and teaching her, not seeking a money monetary reward for her behavior. Well, well, right. You would think that the mother would be embarrassed. I mean, see, instead of going on television, and she's like the the clip I sent out, I mean, she's on TV, and she's just just appalled. And I mean, I look, I, I understand that. Nobody... Nobody likes to see, you know, these things happen to their kid. But the, the mom is just unable to understand that the reason these things happened to her kid was because of the behavior of of the kid. And people hear Elizabeth, oh, it's 14 years old. Well, I, I mean, I don't know how it is in Green Bay, but down here in Milwaukee, you've got 14-year-olds that are stealing cars. You've got 14-year-olds that are engaged in carjacking. You've got 14-year-olds that are running from the cops on a regular basis. And at some point in time... You know, there's really not that much difference when it comes to behavior between 14 and 16 or 18 or 20. You're right. You're yeah. right on that statement. No, thanks for calling. Be oh. a juvenile court worker, and um, they, you know, they're. <laughs> and I, I have to say, I always got respect, but to handle it today like this and have those kids talk to you the way they do yeah. and act the way they do, age isn't the issue; it's the behavior. Yes, exactly. I mean, thank, thanks to the call. And here you have, and, and again, I mean, I'm getting a couple of texts from people are saying, no, this is just not professional. You know, a police officer should be able to restrain a 14-year-old without striking them. Well, all right, what would you, to me, my point then would be, what would you, how would you, how would you play this out? You have the 14-year-old girl clearly out of control who has been assaultive before. She has now returned. She's screaming. She's cursing because her boyfriend or he's now been arrested. She's screaming. She's cursing. She's trying to kind of incite the mob. They say, all right, we're arresting you as well. And then she decides that she is going to struggle. She's got her fists balled up. She's cursing at the officers. What would you have them do? Do they let her go? 
Do they tase her? Um, what, what, what do you do? Do you, I don't know, call the, the juvenile psychiatric people and then try to have somebody there in 15 minutes to tell her to calm down? I mean, no, I mean, at some point in time, you, you have to say, all right, this is where the metal meets the meat. You're under arrest and put your hands behind your back. And if she refuses to do that, and what, what happens then is what happens. Again, they didn't tase her. Guy didn't have a baton. But, yes, he did strike her, and apparently that caused her to unclench her fists, and then they were able to get her hands behind her back, and then they were able to handcuff her. And apparently, even as they were taking her into the squad car, she was still violently kicking at the officers. I, I'm sorry, I don't think this woman is, this girl, is a victim at at all. And this idea that, well, she's only 14 years old and, and police should never do this. Well, okay, things on the street aren't like they were back in the Leave it to Beaver days. They're, they're, just, they're, they're just not. And I look at this and I think the police were presented with a situation where you, you, have, you have a violent teenager and you're, you're trying to control the situation. My guess is nobody started out that day saying, gee, I hope this is the day I get to punch a 14-year-old in the side. But... She's the one that brought this all about. Matt in Burlington. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Matt. Good article. Uh, when I saw this uh, video on the Internet the other day, I was interested enough to read the article behind it. And then I emailed the link to the video and the article to several friends. And in the subject line, it had four words. Learn early, behave, and comply. <laughs> Right, right, because none of this happens. Right, exactly. If if she, first of all, if she hadn't have come back after she'd been evicted from the mall, this never happens. She comes back, and then, you know, she ratchets all this stuff up. They tell her, all right, you're under arrest. Here, put your hands behind your back. She decides to struggle with them. What good can possibly come out of that? Not good, but she's lucky she's not my child. <laughs> well, th- th- thanks for the call. Well, yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, mom is looking for a, a payday here. And, again, I, I, you know, ultimately people will decide on the appropriateness of this. And I understand some people here, 14-year-old girl, you should never, you should never under any circumstances, you know, punch a 14-year-old. Well, all right, what if you've got an out-of-control 14-year-old? I think she's, I think she's a relatively big girl. I can't quite tell because she's, she's on the ground. But I, I can see she's 14 years old. Should that be, you know, your, your first course of action? No. But when you're involved in a struggle with an out-of-control teenager, I mean, I, I guess it, it's easy to second-guess the police, but that's not going to happen here. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. There's something that's missing out of this next story, and I, I think if I were advising the, the folks in the Greendale school system, I would advise them to start sharing and get a little bit ahead of this. There, there's, I, I don't know how much attention this got, but but last week there were some some very pointed allegations of racism in the in the Greendale School District. And matter of fact, my understanding is there's a, a press conference that people are going to be having a little bit later on this afternoon. Maybe there'll be some more news about this. But you know, Channel 58 had the story. Here, here's the way Channel 58 reported this. The suspension of a black student at Greendale High School has called the school's racial climate into question. Now, my understanding is the makeup at Greendale High School, it's about 80% white, like 11% Hispanic, and then the, 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 that other 9% are, are various ethnicities, um, I, I, very small percentage, percentage of black students, is my understanding. 
Anyhow, the girl's a junior. According to the story on Channel 58, she led her friends in protest last Wednesday because they say racism in the halls makes it uncomfortable for them to just go to class. It's a struggle every morning, she says. She, this would be the the young lady, the black girl, says she was suspended for one day last month. She says another girl called her the N-word, and police were called when she said something to stick up for herself. How could you suspend the victim of a racial slur, said the gal's mother. Um, mom says her daughter never put her hands on the other girl. The girl says her grades have suffered since the suspension. The mom says it's been a very traumatic experience for her to be in a place where she thought she was supposed to be safe. Um, the mom has met with school officials but left unhappy with their response. Um, other other black friends of the girl say they've been called the N-word several times at the school. Somebody says, I, I shouldn't be afraid to come to school because I feel like I'm going to get angry because somebody's going to say something racist. Another senior says she's happy to be graduating but worried that her brother is coming up in the district. You have people that will just say the N-word freely in the hallways and do not realize the magnitude the word has. The mom wants an apology for the district and to have her daughter's suspension overturned. So the the, the story is, hey, I, I'm at the school. Somebody calls me the N-word, and I'm the one that, that gets suspended for a day. Now, I just have to tell you this it doesn't this doesn't make sense. Now I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying that there you hear that and you think there's gotta be more to this particular story. Now here's what the superintendent of schools says down there. He says Greendale Schools Greendale Schools is committed to the safety and well being of all students. District administration takes every student, family, and staff concern seriously and investigates all matters brought to our attention. Threats Hate speech and harassment have no place in our school community. In accordance with federal student privacy law, we are not able to provide specifics regarding the incident and student consequences referenced. We can tell you that the students involved in the situation have been counseled and appropriate school actions have been taken in accordance with district practice. School administration continues to offer to work with the student and her mother to ensure she feels safe at school. We take these concerns very seriously and will continue to investigate the matters raised. I don't think that's good enough. I, I just, I, I don't. I think, and I think some of these federal privacy concerns, I, I think that's somewhat overblown, especially when a student goes public and says, this is the way you are handling things. I mean, here are the issues. If it is true that black students at Greendale High School are regularly harassed in the hallways and, you know, called the N-word, that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And school administrators should be all over this, and the people that are doing that should have disciplinary context. At the same time, um, you have an incident here that, again, there seems to me there's got to be more to this. That, all right, you have a student that calls another student the N-word, and then it's the student who was called the N-word who somehow is the one that gets suspended. seems to me there, there's got to be a lot more to it than that. And the fact that the girl and her mother have decided to go public, to me, that, that's pretty much, well, it, it should be carte blanche to allow the school to present its side of the story, what, whatever that, that story would be. So, I mean, this is, I, I think, a huge issue. Like I say, my understanding is there's going to be a press conference later on. But I think Greendale schools, and if I lived in Greendale, I would be saying to school officials, look, you can't hide behind this this sort of privacy thing to the extent that that's out there. That's being waived. 
Because they're, they're saying you have a school where there is overt racism, which is running through the school. They're saying that you have a school where a, a black student who was, you know, verbally accosted and called the N-word, she's the one that ends up getting suspended. I, I think, I mean, I, I think the district owes an explanation. My sense is there's got to be more to this story, but one way or the other, I think the public has a right to know, and simply saying, well, you know, we're not going to tell you anything that happened about this, that's flat out not good enough, especially given the fact that it is the, in this case, the African-American student who says that, hey, you know, she's, what you're doing is you victimized the victim. All right, when we come back, got a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about, including a new way to pay for roads. Would you support it? First, though, we've got a WTMJ Time Saver Traffic Update. Melissa. From the WTMJ Breaking News Center, I'm Melissa Barclay. There is two right lanes of I-43 southbound. That's at West Hampton Avenue. They are blocked right now due to an accident that just happened recently. DOT says delays are going to happen, or delays are going to be about two hours long. Again, the two right lanes of I-43 southbound north of Hampton Avenue. And that's in Milwaukee County. They're closed due to a crash. Uh, delays will be lengthy, so be careful in that area. And if you want more information and more details, go right now to WTMJ.com or on the WTMJ mobile app. We'll keep you updated throughout the afternoon. D- 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A couple quick program notes. We started the show off with a fascinating conversation about what what the United States should do about this migrant caravan that, that is moving forward towards the, the border and a lot of people had a lot of different ideas we we also filmed that segment so it's up on if you go to facebook.com slash 620 wtmj you can uh, you can watch the segment a number of people still commenting on that in the participatory area we we live stream the first couple segments of every show so you can check that out again facebook.com slash 620 wtmj in addition i always like to remind people go to wtmj.com click on the mobile app page i know a number of you listen to the whole show after the show is done on the podcast page you can subscribe to the podcast i'm back here i think i'm going to be here think through the end of the year essentially so um no more vacation scheduled get back on the routine of listening to the jeff wagner show podcast always appreciate that all right here here's the deal everybody is frustrated with the the state of the roads get it and what people are trying to do now is figure out where we're going to get the money to improve the the roads or to do the work that we need to be done and to do road building some people want to see massive increases in the gasoline tax other people think toll roads would be a good idea some people like me think that there's a lot of fat in the dot budget and a lot of a lot of the ways that we bid things there's a lot of waste involving for example the road builders and we start by eliminating that but but reasonable people can disagree the state gas tax in Wisconsin has been frozen at about 33 cents a gallon for several years. The federal gas tax has been frozen at 18 cents a gallon since 1993. So in Wisconsin, we essentially pay around 50 or 51 cents per gallon uh, in tax per gallon of gasoline that, that's purchased. One of the interesting things now is that you, you have more and more cars that get increased gas mileage. So they need less gas to to go farther. You also have electric cars and you have the hybrid cars that go further and further on less gasoline. 
So at the same time, you have increasing road needs. You have cars that get more mileage and some cars that need almost no gasoline at all, which means that if you're driving, for example, a hybrid, yes, you're, you're paying you know, registration fees, but you're not essentially paying very much in a gas tax. One of the ideas that is being floated, there was a big piece in the Chicago Tribune about this, and this is becoming an issue in the Chicago governor's race. One of the ideas is let's scrap the gas tax. Let's get rid of the gas tax altogether. What do they suggest replacing it with? Start charging drivers by the mile. And I guess there's all sorts of different ways that you could work this out. But in theory, in theory, in a perfect world, the idea would be every year when you have to re-register your car, instead of you know paying kind of as you go at the pump, you've got to register your car. You would have to go in. You would have to have the mileage on your vehicle documented. And then they would keep like a running total. So one year, if, for example, January 1st of 2018, you had 10,000 miles on your car. And then January 1st of 2019, you had 25,000 miles on your car. That meant you drove 15,000 miles. And you would then be assessed a fee as a condition of your registration. You'd be assessed a fee, and, and you would have to pay it in order to get your, your registration. All right, that's that's how it would work in theory. And again, there's, there's all sorts of nuances, but I was just trying to make it as simple as possible. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The argument in favor of this would be, well, it's fair. What you're doing is the people who are using the roadways and presumably causing the stress on that, they would pay in proportion to the amount they, they use, and there would be a different rate for trucks and things like that. That would be the argument in favor of it, that it is perhaps more fair. The argument against it would be we live in the real world, and it's just not practical. What do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're first. Good afternoon. I think it's a technical. I think it's a horrible idea. Um, how are you going to verify the mileage that an individual is driven in a given year? What do you do with old vehicles to have exemption on their odometers when you first bought their cars? Mm-hmm. I, I could just go on and on. Well, what do you, well, I mean, I'll get even more practical. What, what do you do with somebody who just flat out refuses to pay? I mean, so, yeah. or doesn't have the money or whatever. Oh, you, you want me to write you a check for, I don't know, $1,000? I don't have $1,000. What are you going to do? Take away my car? I mean, there, there's that huge practical problem that's there. Absolutely. And, and to me, it's just keep it simple, stupid. Um, just just throw a 5% tax on, on the fuel or whatever it may be so that when, when we purchase a good or, or we do a service or whatever it is, register a vehicle, we don't have to put any more effort into the into the process. It's sort of a, like a value-added tax. No, that, that, exactly. That's an idea. I mean, I, I guess I look at this. In, in Let me just tell you, and we'll get some more calls. I, I think, you know, in a perfect world, I understand this. I just don't see it as, as practical as all. I mean, look, the, the, there is a reason. There is a reason the IRS has withholding out of their paychecks, okay? that There is a reason, and the reason is because I understand there's some of you, and I'm still in this category, who has to pay estimated taxes for a variety of things. So every quarter I have to sit down and I have to write the government out a check. Um, I know you might be in that situation as well, but most people aren't. 
if everybody had to every quarter write the IRS out a check, there would be a tax revolt. All right. But but it's not the way it works. That's why the IRS does withholding. They take the money out so they get the money up front. If we were in Wisconsin to expect people at the end of a year or every half a year or whatever to write us a check out for, for the roads, it wouldn't happen. It just wouldn't happen. So in theory, this one sounds good. In practice, I just don't see it happening at all. John, I'm sorry, Joe in Appleton. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon. Hi, Joe. What do you think? Hey, first off, there'll never be a repeal of the gas tax because the government never repeals the tax, yes. period. Right. <laughs> um, with that said, I'm an on-the-road traveling salesperson. I drive quite a number of miles every year. I completely oppose the idea. What I'm more in favor of is them being more efficient in how they build roads yeah. and more efficient in the cost that it takes to build the roads. Both of those are easily attainable and are not being explored hardly at all. You, you and I are singing from the same playbook. What was it, that story you know, a couple weeks ago about how it was like half a million dollars, whatever the dollar was, of, of just like line items that road builders build, and, and we just paid it even though we, we didn't get the stuff? No, the, the, the waste is just incredible. How many miles would you say you drive a year? Uh, roughly 30,000. Okay, what type of vehicle do you have? I drive a Toyota Camry car. Okay, so, I mean, it's not a hybrid or anything. So you're you're paying your fair share. You're, you know, you're buying gas, and you're paying for it. Yep, I was conscious when I bought the vehicle to buy something that got good gas mileage, but I'm still paying for sure. Got it. Okay, no, thanks for calling. I see, I just don't see this. I, I, I think about, I try to think about things and how they're going to operate in the real world, and I just don't see this operating i just don't see this functioning as well i'm sorry we got a lot of great calls online but i'm kind of up against the clock i i i i would start with aggressively attacking waste all right that that's what you do first of all and i understand that there's all these different ideas that are out there and this is this is one that has an intellectual appeal but in practice how do you make it work so what happens i show up and i look and i understand for some people they would do it but other people show up and they say we want me to write you a check for eight hundred dollars well no what are you going to do well you're not going to give me my car registration okay well i'm going to keep driving anyways that's i just think this is an idea that intellectually might sound good in the real world no wish i had some more time for some more calls but i'm up against the clock um it is 254 when we come back we're going to find out what john and melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's afternoon news now that the Brewers are out of the playoffs. Stick around.